this episode of In the House, we sit down with Aaron Prinz. Aaron is the creator of the Designed Podcast, produced by Architectural Record. We discuss Aaron's unique background as a comedian and what led him into the field of architecture. He tells us what inspired him to start his podcast, and we talk about some of the amazing guests he has brought on over the years. We hope you like this episode. If you do, share with a friend and give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. This episode of In the House. Today we are speaking with Aaron Prinz. Aaron's background includes being a designer for Paige Sutherland. He has experience working with Matt Ficus Architecture as a design associate and is currently a designer at Michael Shue Office of Architecture here in Austin, Texas. So by day, Aaron is just a humble architect, but by night, he becomes the host of the Designed Podcast produced by Architectural Record. And the Designed Podcast has featured some of the most renowned architects in modern history, such as Art Gensler, Tengo Kuma, and Tom Kundig, just to name a few. Aaron, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. You're nicer than my parents. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, oh well, you know. Well, thank you for having me, I appreciate it. No, absolutely. So we actually, we tried to get you on, what, maybe a month ago, and then you had pneumonia? I, that? I did have pneumonia, yeah. Wow. <laughs> sorry, sorry for that, I apologize. <laughs> I, had, I got sick on Wednesday, and this I think we were supposed to record on Monday, and I was like, I'll be fine by Monday, and then Sunday I was like, I think I'll be fine tomorrow, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta call it, because I was gonna die, but. Oh, yeah. Thank you for rescheduling and oh, accommodating no, 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 me no, no, a little no. bit later. And... You also had a, a, a kid just a few months ago? Yeah, I had, a, I had a second son a few months ago, so we've been a little bit in the woods about scheduling and everything is yeah. not as uh, easy as, as it used to be, so I would say. Your second one. Man, congrats. Yeah, it's been, That's awesome. Thank you. It's been nothing but chaos. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can, yeah, I can imagine. Do you, I mean, do you have kids? Mm-hmm. One. 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 She's, what, 10? 10? Yeah. Dang. Gosh. Can't wait. It's awesome. So they can stay in a room by themselves. <laughs> like, like the living room. Like you can leave them in the living room or to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, so, well, how old? So you got the newborn, right? A few months. And then how old your, your I have a, I have a three-year-old. Well. Three, three, so we're like right, uh, in all the mood swings. From that's that's kind of the age gap I have. I got five and, and two. No, five and three. Sorry. Five and three. Five is when I think the, the all the data input from the first five years, that's when it starts coming back out. Like, okay. In a good way? Five, or, yeah. <laughs> comprehending enough to start analyzing and giving you feedback now. Five is when I think it just starts to get more awesome every day. Well, there's hope. I would agree. There's hope. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, the kids are fun. And, you know, in all honesty, I think when I had my first one, that's kind of, I was doing the podcast. I started while I was in school at the University of Texas at Austin, and um, I was doing it like I would wake up. I'm, I was a big in school, like studio at six or seven in the morning, leave at five and have a life afterwards. So I wasn't the all-nighter type of guy, and my work probably reflected it. But I think, you know, and then I was on the schedule where I was doing that, recording interviews whenever my guests had time, going home, eating dinner with my wife. She'd go to bed, and then I would stay up till like, 
two in the morning just editing and editing. Because these episodes, for people that don't know, take like four or five hours to put together by the yeah. time they're done, right? And so I did that for two and something years. It was a while. And then we were having my first son, and that's kind of... <laughs> I don't know if you had this realization when you started to have kids, when you're like, oh, I need to like, I can't just do things for fun anymore. <laughs> and so, well, I mean, within reason, you know what I mean? So I, that's when I started reaching out to larger networks to try to get this going. Because mm-hmm. it was either I had to start making money at it or I had to stop doing it. And so I reached out. I had, there was a magazine in London or England somewhere that was interested in it and an architectural record was interested in it and i think you know looking at kind of the history of architecture if you will architectural records is the oldest and longest running magazine it's like 130 something years old wow, i didn't know that yeah so and i mean <laughs> it has such a history within architecture like i feel like to get published in record was like a huge thing so just to be part of that for me i think is it's it's been re- rewarding in itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tell us kind of about your history. I mean, did you are you initially from Austin or Texas? I mean, where where did you grow up, and what was your family like, and how'd you get here? Oh my God, no, <laughs> none <laughs> of the above. Was that and why German? German. You majored in German. Oh, you, you guys did some research. <laughs> I was back there pouring drinks and I was in a white German. Uh, uh, no, so I, I grew up actually in a small town in Northern California um, called Red Bluff. 12,000 people, third largest three-day rodeo in the country. Wow. Little, small cowboy town. And I went to... <laughs> I went to the University of Oregon and I dropped out and I majored in German, as it's been pointed out. But I, I studied abroad in Germany for a year, so I already spoke German. Not a big school guy, if you will. So I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. Uh, and I didn't drop out. But ended up back in my hometown. And my dad, both my parents were teachers since I was like six. But before that, my dad worked at the paper mill like every other person in the town. Mm-hmm. Making, you know, Simpson, Simpson strong ties. They had, oh, really? they had Simpson paper uh-huh. and he blew out his knee, tired of doing it. And so he bought him and his friend bought, this was in like the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, digitizing tablet for early stage AutoCAD. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It was like this big pad. And now we have the ribbon on the screen. Uh-huh. It was like this 24 by 24 inch tablet. And you had to, all the commands were, you had like your screen space and you had to go find, it was weird. That Apple IIe computer, and they just started doing spec houses in my hometown while he went to college. So wow. he graduated college and stopped doing it. Fast forward, built their, their design, built his own house, contractor liked his plans, started drawing plans again when I was probably nine or 10. And then I was doing, he was teaching me to do AutoCAD. So I would do the dimension sheet and the electrical sheet and put do the lighting and draw the line to the switch and whatever, you know what I mean? So that sort of stuff. So that was your introduction into architecture. Yeah. yeah. And then, dude, I have a, this is going to be a long story. And I Go for it. No, we got uh, time. But since I was seven years old, all I wanted to do was be a stand-up comedian. That's really? all I wanted to do. Yeah. I would watch... I read about that. I was looking forward to talking about that. Oh, yeah. So I would, <laughs> I would watch Seinfeld when I was little. And, you know, there was like 
I was such a little comedy nerd. Like, I cried at the last episode of Seinfeld and all this stupid crap. But, you know, he'd have those little segments in the beginning where he'd be, oh, like, yeah, where he'd be doing stand-up. And then my grandma, it's, bless her heart, she passed away last year. But um, comedy, if I did my homework, because we lived with my grandparents when my parents were going to school. So until I was six, I lived with my grandparents. And I could go stay over there on the weekends on Friday if I did my homework. Now that I'm a parent, it's like, what a what a deal! I did my homework and I get to go away for a night. Like, right. <laughs> wow! <laughs> um, but I think so. When I was over there, I discovered Friday night stand up on Comedy Central. When I didn't want to stay over at my grandparents anymore because you know you become a teenager and you're too cool, my grandma would record on VHS Friday night stand up every night, and she'd bring it over on Saturday, and I'd just sit there and watch all these sort of things, comedy like the. Uh, school talent show com- comes up. I'd memorize like five minutes from a Nick Schwartzen special and go do it. And so I did that. And when I dropped out of University of Oregon, I moved back with my parents. I was really on the brink of these small towns. You know, Austin is a city. But those small towns, when you're 21, 22, you're really on the verge of becoming a townie, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I just started driving twice a week to Sacramento. So I was working at a grocery store, get off at three, drive to Sac, do five minutes, drive home, go to the grocery store, do that twice a week. And then that's really what took me to San Francisco. And I did comedy for five or six years. That's why, I mean, it's a, it's a thing looking back now because I think looking at, at the time, a lot of comics were like producing open mics in, in like, it's always a Chinese restaurant. Anyway, they're producing these shows and they're putting so much money into it and they're making no money at it. Like they're putting so much effort and promoting it and getting people to go and it's just a free open mic night. So I started going back to the small town and you can rent during like every city or every small town has some old theater from the Mm thirties and you can rent that thing for a thousand dollars a night. So I broke down this business model. I'm like 19. (laughs) <laughs> when all this 1920 when all this is happening and i got three businesses to give me 300 dollars a piece so my overhead is a hundred dollars uh-huh headliner are people from sacramento my you know comedy friends headliner got three dollars a ticket feature got two dollars a ticket and then i hosted it so i didn't cost anything and then i gave each business a dollar per ticket if that makes sense uh-huh. so yeah, yeah i'm the show cost me what is that five eight dollars a ticket and funny story, <laughs> weird name drop thing, but Tom Hanks' mom lives in my hometown and she's passed away. So I don't think he goes up there anymore, but he had donated a lot of money to this theater. And the night of my first show, he was in town and he bought the doors for the theater. So he like was standing outside the theater looking at these doors that he bought. And someone was like, oh, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I just bought my ticket to this comedy show tonight. Didn't show up. But that got around the internet and we sold like five or 600 tickets or some shit like that. And so really the businesses that gave me the money, the $300 a piece, they all got their money back plus some, you know, plus a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. It got around Sacramento that I had this theater because everyone wants to play a theater that, and I was making money at it. So I just was doing two of those a month. Some were successful. Some were not successful. I got on the road a couple times with, uh, you know, a comic that I was able to play like 2,500, 3,000 seat room and stuff like that. So I, 
I, I look at that time now, I think there was a time in my life when I look back and I felt like just such a failure being, because by the time it's done, you know, you have like $3,000 in your savings account, you're poor, you're living show to show. Mm-hmm. And I was like 26 and I had like literally nothing. I didn't have a car. I didn't have, you know what I mean? All these things that a 26 year old you think should have and everyone has it figured out. But I only say that because when I was producing these shows, I was booking at the end of it. I was, you know, reaching out to like creative artists and like paradigm talent agents and like big legit talent agencies in LA. And I was signing contracts and making deals. And I didn't realize it until the podcast, like how valuable the skill that was for me because really what I do now, like, I don't know how many architecture podcasts there are, but there's not a lot that get the guests that I get. And yeah. I'm sorry for listeners if that sounds arrogant, but it's kind no, of the truth. And I, I think it is because of that time I spent as a comic. And so looking back, I think it's probably the best thing I probably could have done for me or my family now, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's... Sorry, that was a long rant. No, no that's not right. <laughs> that's the kind of perspective that's interesting. That's what we want to know about. Yeah, no, we, we want to know... This is this isn't as, as polished maybe as, as the design. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean but, that. I don't mean that by any means. We want to know who but you are. So this I'm is- only saying it as like I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm doing what I'm doing now because it's what I've been doing for since I was 18 years old. Yeah. Well, okay. So, but how did you really make the jump into architecture? I was poor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my dad was still doing those spec houses back in Red Bluff and I hadn't had a job in three years. Um, and I never wanted to have one again. So I picked the most time intensive degree you can possibly have. Uh, no, my plan was I bought a, I got a bootleg copy of AutoCAD on Craigslist and I sat there with a book for 10 hours and I retaught myself AutoCAD and I heard about Revit, got a bootleg copy of Revit and I bought a book and I sat there and learned it. And I just like, I could do this for a long time. So I wanted to take over and work with my dad and what he was doing. And then I found out, you know, if you don't make a certain amount of money, the state will give you a Pell Grant to go to community college. So I just started taking architecture classes and then I applied to Portland State, start moved up to Portland, started taking architecture classes there applied to Austin, moved to Austin, and here we are. So well, did you yeah. did you get to work with your dad for a while? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I did when I was little. Like, he would pay me like $100 to do a dimension plan for him, and that would get me like whatever, I, you know what I mean? When you're, when you're 100, when you have $100 when you're nine in a oh, small town, you I used to, I used to get it all in ones, and I'd roll it up in a wad, and then someone would walk in, I'd go... You need thirteen dollars. I got. Yeah. What's it? Oh yeah. Go buy something. I just want to be like a gangster. Like, a, like, a, you know what I mean? Like, ah, yeah. That's cool. Silly. Uh, so when did when did you make the move to to Austin? Uh, twenty seventeen for grad school. So okay. For I was we were getting married. We got married yeah. in twenty seventeen. My wife has took a more traditional path, I think, into the career workforce and. Um, she had already moved from San Francisco to Portland for me. So we sat down. There's only so many accredited lists or accredited schools for grad school, right? So I took a red highlighter. She took an orange highlighter. I highlighted the schools. She highlighted the cities. And then we did the little Venn diagram of where we wanted to move. And mm, nice. I applied to a bunch of them. And it was between here and Michigan. And it was like, I went up to Ann Arbor. Well, first of all, I can't, <laughs> flew out here for like the welcome weekend. It was like 75 degrees and sunny. <laughs> 
And I flew to Michigan. It was the worst <laughs> flight I've ever had in my life. It was stu- like the flight attendants didn't even stand up. They were just like, good luck. Hope we make it. See you soon. Like, it was horrible. I got out. I was hailing in April. And I was like, no. I called her. I was like, this isn't the spot. But also, like, looking at it now, like, Ann Arbor is not a place that she could have, like, we could have stayed after school and had, like, the careers that we have now. She's very successful in her career. And I think Austin is kind of a good spot for us. So when did you when did you start the podcast? Uh, twenty eighteen summer summer after. So shortly session. after you got you came into Austin. Yeah, that's a that's a Larry Speck thing. I don't know. You all know Larry Speck. You don't know Larry Speck. Mm-hmm. You guys. <laughs> no, he's a uh, Larry Speck is like the godfather of Austin architecture. He's a uh, he's a professor at UT. He's a partner at Page, and he's also. Dude, he did like the community center, all this stuff. Um, the master plan for Second Street District or the waterfront and all that stuff. Um, but uh, I may be quoting his credits wrong, and I'm sorry if you did one of those projects. But he's done a lot for the city of Austin is the point. But he is probably the most generous person with his time. He's donated so much of his time. I, I joked at the AIA or the Texas Architects Convention last year that... Poor Larry Speck, when I have an idea, he's about to lose a Saturday because he just keeps donating. <laughs> he just keeps donating hours to helping me do, you know, what, what I want to do or what I think I can do. And he's very generous, but his theory class at the University of Texas is probably the best class I've taken in all of my architecture studies. And his last class was, or last three classes is touring projects and then the designers is in there talking about how they designed it and then they sit down and talk about their career path and I was like, oh, this should just be a podcast. And then I went down the whole Google search of how to start a podcast and I started Austin Firms. Larry was episode two, Matt was episode one and kind of hopped around Austin for a while and that's how, that's how it happened. <laughs> what, what was, what do you think was the, was the hope or the, the intent behind starting it initially? I mean, what's your hope? Why are you guys doing this? Well, probably, it's probably multifaceted. Um, you know, I think we were just kind of talking about this the other day, but well, that's a good question. I mean, I think for, for me at least, it's, it's kind of pushed some boundaries. Um, you know, I'm not the, the best at having a conversation. And so that was kind of a challenge for me was to, to learn how to kind of open up and talk and, and, and interview and, and kind of learn that side of things. Um, and it also has challenged me in other ways, like just to, to learn, you know, I always, I always had this feeling like I was the dumbest guy in the room and I, and I always hated that. And I, and I never wanted to be the dumbest guy in the room. And so I, I try to surround myself with people who I think are way more knowledgeable and, you know, have so much wisdom and hopefully I can, you know, by surrounding myself with these people, I can kind of glean this, this knowledge and wisdom from them. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of the intent behind, you know. But then under that theory, and there's yeah. very famous people who have echoed the same sentiment, don't you want to be the dumbest person in the room? Don't you want to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you so that you could learn and grow? Yeah. So in a way, what you're saying, and while I understand, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be the dumbest person in the room. I was like, there's a limit. <laughs> but I want to surround myself with people that I think yes. that I'm going to grow and benefit from. And yeah, so- what I mean is, yes, you're, to your point, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I was never really a, an avid reader. You know, I would, I 
and I've, I've kind of gotten back into it and, and really it's because of the podcast. I've, I've wanted to grow my knowledge and understanding of things. And so I've, I've really become better at disciplining myself and, and reading and, and learning as, as much as I can to, to try to be a better version of, of myself. You didn't get those guns from books. <laughs> no, I thought those guns were from holding books. I mean, that, that's so. I mean, work, working out and physical fitness is, is kind of part of that journey to you know being being better, you know, being excellent. Because I think excellent is not just you know who you are while you're at work or who you are while you're at home or, or who you are while you're in school. It's it's all of those things combined. Like if you're to, to be excellent, you need to be. You got to be a good, a good dad, a good husband, a good, a good employee, or a good business owner, or good. You know, you have to be all of those things combined, and and so part of this podcast, I think, is just a, a journey to to try to be excellent in in every way. Well, I don't read or work out, but I think, <laughs> uh, no, I, I I can understand that. I think when I started it, it was more of like. I've had this sort of background of being in front of people that I really like and really missed. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, when I pitched this idea, my wife was like, can't you just go to work and then go home? Like, why, why do you have to do this? Um, but, I, you know, I think it was that. And then I saw I'm a bit, I can be a bit of a schmoozer. To a certain extent and I saw a benefit of like the early days I would go to whatever architecture firm's website look for the highest person I could find an email address for and that's who I was emailing yeah. and that's how I emailed Judy Pesic at Gensler and six months later not because of Judy but I was interning at Gensler and I said hey Judy you remember that podcast we did you think Art would want to do it and she was like, oh, I don't know. Let me think. <laughs> Probably. Let me reach out to him. And then she came up to my desk 30 minutes later and she said, have you ever met, have you ever met Art Gensler? And I said, no. And she goes, I want us to fly you out there. You can just do that interview in person. And I was like, sure. So Gensler wow. flew me to San Francisco. I stayed with a friend and went down to the office, talked to Art for an hour, flew back. And it's sort of that... I saw it as a benefit for me, the networking aspect to get a job in Austin, because Austin architecture is not that big of an environment, I guess. Um, but just networking in general, like it's so valuable. And I wish young designers realized there's like a competitiveness to architecture that I think doesn't need to exist. And the networking aspect, I think, is so much more important mm -hmm. in school and school. Also, like everyone's doing kind of their own projects and it's just not as collaborative as I think the real world is. No, I agree. And I, I would, a good point. yeah, I'd add that to the list of, you know, reasons why, you know, to, to start the podcast is just to meet awesome people. I mean, you know, sitting here having a conversation with you, never, Not too awesome, you know, no, <laughs> you're, you're, you're too hard. On yourself. Yeah. But you know, okay. So, but, but what's it like, you know, you, you've had some really, I mean, world, renowned architects on your podcast i mean do you get starstruck or do you get nervous or do, do you i mean are there any people out there you're like wow you know I, you, it kind of hits you like I'm, I'm sitting down with so-and-so and like I, I didn't picture this i had a former employee or former employer asked me this 
the first time I interviewed Bjork Ingels, and that was a very nerve-wracking interview, I will say. Um, if you don't know, he's like, mm-hmm. I just think, you know, I've, if, if for people that have listened from the beginning, we're 147 episodes in. Wow. I, which, thank you for saying that. If for no one that, for people that don't understand how much of an undertaking that is, it's, it's a lot of, it's a big accomplishment. And I, I say that as humbly as I can. I'm very proud of what I've, how many episodes I've produced. Mm-hmm. But the earlier episodes is that I really didn't talk that much. And when I did, it was always like a sort of reserved voice. Like I was pulling my voice back as I was talking, unsure if I could talk. And I've, I've hired or I have a business partner that is like 26, 27 that does all my editing now. And he was pretty honest when I first started editing. He's like, dude, you're boring. He's like, you need to like, He's like, cause him and I talk and it's a lot more like, you know, joking around and stuff. And he's like, you have like a personality, but like, you're not showing it. And I would like slowly tried to open up a little bit more and like be, I don't know, once you, you kind of get used to talking to these people and sure. to understand it's a mutually beneficial thing. Like I'm not, I admittedly, they're probably giving more to me than I am to them. But at the same time, like. PR is part of the business and so they're doing their job I'm doing my job and everyone's on that same page and I have found that a majority of these people are pretty nice and lovely people to talk to like Mm -hmm. the you know oftentimes they get on I give like my five minute like this is what we're gonna do like this is my internet cuts out stay on the call (laughs) like all these sort of disclaimers up front and I don't provide notes up front. I just start talking. I very, I probably should write more questions, admittedly, but after it's over, we'll sit there and talk for 10 or 15 minutes and then hang up and they go their way and I go mine. And it's actually surprising how small of an industry the PR world is. Cause what the big, I had a couple big breakthroughs, but one of them was that there's a PR firm in New York that actually represents like, nine of the biggest architecture firms in the country. So once I just sat there and just boom, 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 ran through because it's the same woman that was just booking every single one. And then she left and I was like, oh no. And then I had a Genie Gang interview like a month ago. And the person I was dealing with was like, I'm going to be out of town. Talk to Jill. And she's like, hey, Aaron, I don't know if you remember three years ago, we booked all these podcasts together. I'm just over here at Studio Gang now. So it's all like a... It's a really small world once you're able to like get into it. That mm-hmm. it's much it easier, critical mass, much easier than people think. In the architecture world, to be honest, like it's a very niche podcast. It's a very niche market, so you're not going to get the Rogan number or like these massive. Pod- it's just not going to happen. But it's just I don't know. Everyone's been very generous with me, and I think they're just pretty nice people. So okay, so I want to ask a question. I'm I'm not an architect. So you being an architect, what? what I'm a designer, not an architect, designer. Okay, yeah. designer. But what yeah. what makes, it might be a dumb question, but what makes an architect like the Taylor Swift of architects? You know, like, <laughs> you, like where, how do you know, like when you get to that point as an architect? That might like, be something. To me, it's the same in comedy. I can draw so many parallels to stand up as I can to architecture, but I, and this are, these are opinions. If you disagree, disagree. But I think you're, Comedy ability 
is only as good as your marketing ability. Um, you can be a terrible comic, but you can book a lot of gigs and you're going to make a pretty decent money. And I think you see that same thing in construction and you see that same thing in architecture. And I, I do. I see exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, well put. with these people that I'm talking to, we'll say Bjarka, that he's just really, really good at hopping on a call with, you know what I mean? Like he just has a switch that he can flip. And I don't think there's a lot of people that can do that, but I also don't think it's a coincidence that he's in the place that he's in. Mm. That makes sense. And I think that with a lot of good designers, like, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that they are in the place that they're at. So architectural record. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell me about, okay. So how did all that come about? So, you, you know, you, you had your podcast for how many years? Be- two, two, two years. And then you, you're now partnered with architectural record so how, tell me about that yeah so we've been together i'd say since october 2020 and they've been really the best partner and again they've been around for so long and they have such a legacy i think it's just an honor to kind of be a part of it but they've been really wonderful they they we partnered together because they liked what i was doing and for the most part they've literally just said like keep doing what you're doing i have a little bit more responsibility with sending them headshots and like promotional material for their website and everything but really they've just been a pleasure a pleasure to work with i don't think i could find really a better partner you know it is a bit of a put like a push and pull like i give them we have a call every occasionally where i was like what do you think about this guest and now really how it's evolved is we're trying to pair the podcast with stories they're writing so they'll do like one example is um Olsen Kundig and Faulkner Architects and Truckee had um, their house of the month was being featured. And so I had both of them on there to kind of talk about their house and stuff like that. So we're trying to, again, it's cross-promoting mutual beneficial relationship mm-hmm. that just benefits everyone all around. And, you know, I've been featured on other blogs and other architecture publications, and I'm really happy that I ended up winning it up. Is there a dream guest that you haven't had yet that you've got on this? Mm, yeah, one. Peter Zumthor. Um, I, <laughs> I can do some pretty embarrassing things. Um, I, I just shamelessly added as many Zumthor employees as I could find on LinkedIn <laughs> and <laughs> sent them all messages. <laughs> and then they gave me, like, I got someone to give me an email and I email it for four years now every six months hey and i updated like we're doing better than we were (laughs) (laughs) we really should do this um and then they're every time they're just like mr zumthor is so busy with projects he cannot sleep or eat and he does not have time to do whatever like the excuse is or whatever so you know that's that's the the one but i mean he lives in like the hills of switzerland and i don't think he's he's not hurting for press you know what i mean that's cool. The, the one thing I tell people, the one superpower we have is polite persistence. <laughs> persistence. You, you, that's cool. That's probably good advice. That's yeah. probably good yeah. advice. So what, um, what impact do you think designed podcast has had? Oh, man. I don't know. What, okay. so maybe, Like there's times yeah, when you oh, feel like, you know, early podcasting where you're like, I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> um, my hope is... You know, it's evolved a little bit. So early on, it was more career focused, like how do you go through your career? How do you get to where 
you want to be. And so I hope the young architects kind of take that on and have learned something from it, the people. And I think, you know, our demographic is on the younger side of architecture. And I don't think I'm the first one to say this. Like, it is a bit of a dated field where it is kind of like the good old boy network, so to speak, in a lot of ways still, even though like people are working very hard to change that. It somehow feels that way occasionally. You know, I'm, 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 my hope is that I'm telling, my hope is that, you know, you see interviews and if you're at a university, you have the ability to go to a lecture, but you're really restrained or constrained by who the university has booked. And what I think I've done is cultivate a library where you have a hundred so far, 147, 149 next month, 152 the month after that, a library of resources and lectures that kids can actually get a long form conversation out of and a story out of. It's not a 30 second interview question or a two minute YouTube video. It's a 45 to 60 minute conversation on, you know, a building, a career, a person, whatever the topic may be. And so I hope it's just providing some sort of library or resource for people when they're researching these things. That's well said. Well, Adrian, do you have any you have any questions? You're over there twirling your mustache. You, you look you look intrigued. <clears throat> Ask my questions when they come up. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So if you could if you could look back on your on your career, if you could talk to a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give? Is there anything you would change, or would you do it all the same? I mean, it's worked out, but I think. You know, I, I, I have, you know, just by the nature of myself, I'm from a small town. There's not a lot happening and I'm just a pretty self-conscious person. And I think, but I also weirdly have a lot of belief in myself. So I feel like I have both of these sort of things. I think just, just relax. Like you're going to be fine. It'll be okay. Everyone is somehow walking around and talking. I think about this, like raising kids, like, Oh, they're not reading and they're not going to the bathroom. And like somehow every adult is like using the bathroom and walking and talking and eating themselves. Like, so it's like, it's all going to be okay. I have that same perspective. I've been reading a lot of like parenting books and cause that's, you know, very relevant to what I'm going through. So I've been, I've been reading a lot of parenting books and yeah, that's kind of like, you know, you get one opinion here and then one opinion here and then your, your parents come at you with another. <laughs> You, know, you ever seen the car seats we had when we were kids? <laughs> the, fact that we're, car seat? the fact that we're here having this conversation. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and, it's, and so, you know, but you sit back and you think, like, you know what? I I think it'll be okay. You know? Like, <laughs> it's like it's, it's, you don't have to overthink it. You don't, but you have to keep trying hard. Well, absolutely. You can't so, just no, go, nah, it'll be okay. It'll all work out. You agree. have to keep pushing and work hard. Agreed. No, what, Put your head down, work hard, then it'll all work what out. What was that quote you told me? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I all think... All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was about, it was about kids and, and always raising the bar. I think Shan actually gave you that quote. Oh, yes, Shan did. Yeah. Uh, they will raise to the bar that you set. And, and what his message was, was don't underestimate them. Like put the bar as high as you can. They will raise to that bar. And I, you know, I, I've heard people say, Oh, well, whatever the achievement is, I want to make that achievement. 
I'm okay if you fall a little short because then you know you tried as hard as you could. If you always achieve your goal, then you should have tried harder, mm. right? You, you could have gone a little bit farther. Sure. So, yes, they will raise to the bar that they that you set. But the other one I like is I'm an expert on everything up till today. <laughs> <laughs> from today on, I'm making it all up. But from today back, I'm an expert. Yeah. So what does the future look like? What does the future look like for design, podcast, your career? Uh, what are architecture. your architecture? What do you think? I, I don't know, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, I got into architecture as like a, it seemed like a good job sort of perspective. I was never like chasing buildings like you hear a lot of people and Legos and all these sort of nice stories. Um, so, I mean, I have a lot of interests and, I kind of am really liking the marketing aspect of things. That's just an interest I have. So I don't know what the quote unquote future holds. I, I want to say that like, I'm in a, I'm in a really good spot with the podcast. It could end tomorrow. And you know, that it is kind of a fleeting thing. Like no one, no one just has unlimited success forever. And so I, I, you know, I want to make it last while I can. And I think. You know, that's why I want to do reach out and help start a podcast or early podcast because, I mean, I had Bob Borson that did the exact same thing for me. He would, didn't have to talk to me and he really took a lot of time out of his days to kind of talk and coach me through a lot of these things. And that would be my advice for like young podcasts because I, there seems to be with my, the cohort that I came up with. We were all very friendly with one another and we're all doing really well now. This was five or six years ago, you know, um, of podcasts that I'm talking about. Mm. There seems to be a more competitive nature with like the new podcasts. And I wish there was just a little more collaboration. Like I, I had a guest cancel and I was like, no matter what, there's an episode coming out every week. There is one coming out every week. Yeah. And I got canceled on a Tuesday. I released them on a Wednesday. I called the other podcasts and they were my guests talking about architecture podcasts. And so we had this sort of thing. And I don't know if you know Julia Gamalina. She, she runs Madam Architect, a very, very successful entrepreneur in the AEC space. And her and I, you know, we don't talk, we don't talk as much as we used to, I guess is the best way to put it. But there was, a, we had a conversation. I had heard about her during an interview when the woman I was interviewing said, you should be Madam Architect. And I joked with Julia when I was talking to her and met her two years later. And I was like, oh, she said that. And I was instantly like, edit that out. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to advertise for anyone else. And she joked. She was like, I would have done the same two years ago. But I think there is a confidence in it's okay to talk about acknowledging that other people exist. <laughs> like, you, yeah. you, if you're sure of yourself, it, there's room yes. for everyone. It doesn't have to be... Only people are going to listen to my podcast or yeah. only people are going to listen to your podcast. It's people want content. So the more quality content that is out there, the better it is for everybody. This is my advice for young architects or young podcasters. You shouldn't shun away from other podcasters. You should look at what they're doing and try to learn from them as much as possible. And that's what Bob did for me. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a big arena and there's, there's so many people. And, you know, everybody has a different background and a different story. And, um, that's always been interesting to me is like, you know, you, you kind of see 
like everybody sees you maybe from from the this outside perspective of you know you're. I also want to say I try to hide myself as much as possible. Like I, like you know, there's no pictures of me on the podcast Instagram. There's I'm just a voice, and that's that's the way I like it. So they talk about putting yourself out there. I'm like I'm okay from behind the scenes. No, perfect. But yeah, I mean, but it's it's that, but it's it's getting to know, you know, how you got here. Like, how did how did you get into the podcasting? How how you know what what's your story and what's your background? And that's that's always been interesting to me. Is like how what what path you know did people take to get where they're at? And that's and that's always been every single person has like such an interesting background. You know, everybody's got a story mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's, they're all unique. They're all unique. Every single one of them. Like nobody, and that that's always been. It's super interesting. It's just like like I said, you you, you kind of have this image of, of somebody in your head that maybe you see on TV or you know you you listen to every day on the radio, and then you you kind of get to know them as an individual, and I just I think that's really cool. And so with that, you know, I I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. It's it's late, you know. You're taking time away from your family. Same to y'all. So thank and you for accommodating my children's schedule. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like, can we record it? But Midnight. No, I have a real. I have an important question. You yeah, go I, for it. You asked me if I had a question. I yes, think I have an question. shoot it out there. Okay. Aside from obviously your priorities are your wife and your two sons. Those are obviously your priority. Outside of that, outside of work, what do you geek out on? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think stand up is one. Do you still go and perform anywhere? Do you still no, not. This is my take on it. There's guys out there, women. There's people out there that are really trying to make a career out of it, especially in Austin right now with the comedy scene has blown up immensely. So I would dabble when we first moved here, like a couple weeks a month or a couple weeks a year. I'd go like real hard, like I'm gonna do this again. But I'm taking stage time away from someone that's really trying to do it, and so I don't want to do that. So I think comedy is one. I really like to golf. Um, I've golfed since I was like a little, little kid. But other than that, like, I'm a pretty basic dude. <laughs> I don't do a lot. You know what I mean? Just I, I don't know if I'd say comedy and golf are basic. As yeah. far, I mean, not, I don't know anyone else who does comedy. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think that the confidence that that gives you, the comfortability of being able to talk in front of people and not worry about slipping something up and saying something that's foolish or silly because... That's what you kind of, you go out there to do things like that. So I think that's an incredible foundation for where you have got. No, I agree. Because isn't, isn't that like the number one fear for people is public speaking? Yeah, I've gotten a lot worse at public speaking. <laughs> like, a lot worse. Maybe, maybe I've always been that bad and I just haven't realized it until I was in my mid-30s. But again, we're talking, this is a 24-year-old Aaron. So I'm like a different person now. But uh, yeah, I... There is a certain freedom, though, to that. And there is a no better feeling than going in front of a few hundred people and saying something. And this is why I always fight with people about, like, can you say that? Can you not say that? And in terms of comedy. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of comedy. Because I think comedy, if you're watching it on TV, you're having a different experience than the people are there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. comedy is a conversation between comedian says A and the audience will 
not discriminate if you're famous, if you're not famous, if you're not funny, you're not funny, and they're right. not going to laugh. React. Yes. <laughs> so whether is that f- actually funny? Like the conversation is over when the crowd reacts. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's a conversation between the comedian and the audience. Yeah. That's that's yeah. So we, we, my wife and I just went this last weekend and we saw Jim Gaffigan. Funny. At the uh, the Moody Theater. Um, but I, okay, so I got a story. I'm going okay. to tell my story. <laughs> tell your story. So, uh, so this is like we're, we're like architecture comedy podcast on this big wave. Dude, this uh, goes. This goes more interesting. Than just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, okay, so this is, it was date night, all right, um, and so we went out, this was last weekend, thanks man, yeah. uh, so we go out, and we've had this plan for a while, you know how it is with kids, you got a plan months in advance. My friend's like, hey, can you do anything tonight? I'm like, why would you text me? Is <laughs> <laughs> that a joke? <laughs> so, so we go out, uh, we, we actually go to Fogo de Chao, that's probably like one of our favorite restaurants, well, just a Brazilian steakhouse in general. Churrascaria. Yeah. Just, My wife is Brazilian, so she's all about the churrascarias. Oh, man. It's, they're phenomenal. So we go, Fogo has a new location in Austin. We, we tried it. It's, I, I liked it. I didn't care for the, the interior too much, but that's beside the point. So we go, um, we get, we get dinner and then it's just a couple blocks from the theater. So we walk to the theater and dude, the line is so long. I mean, it's rass. The one downtown. Yeah. The one right the off. W. So what? At the W? I think so. The smaller one. Yes. Yeah. Everything is a Moody in Austin now. There's like Moody Amphitheater movie, whatever. The small one. This is small one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's the line is wrapped around the building. It goes down a couple blocks. It's a super long line to get in. Um, and so thanks. We uh, <laughs> basically there's a line to get in line. So we start walking. You know, and we're, there's people outside telling you where to go. Like, oh, keep going. Just, just, <laughs> just keep going. And we're fully trusting them. They're like, sure. Yeah, I guess we're going the right way. And so we keep going. And finally, you know, after maybe five minutes, we make it to the back of the line. And then you got to turn around and go back the other way. Go back the way you can. So we're waiting in line. And um, this there was there ended up being kind of a break in the line, like right in front of us. And, you know, my wife and I are talking and we're having a good time. And there's this couple like standing off to the side and I assume they're married, but there was a couple and they were looking up at the buildings and talking and pointing and all of a sudden they just kind of, whoop, they just cut right in front of us. You know, they, they think, they think that I didn't notice or that we didn't see them. There's 7,000 people. What's two <laughs> yeah. more? Because, you know, we're, we're talking, we're having a good time. And so they, they think they can just slip right in line and we'll, we won't notice. And so I, you know, I let a minute go by and I let them think they got away with, you know. You're close enough. <laughs> uh, I think I let them think they got away with it. And at first I was like, you know what, we're almost to the entrance. I'm not going to say anything. It doesn't really matter. But I was like, no, I'm totally going to say something. So I, I lean forward. I'm like, I saw what you did. And the, the guy turns around. He's like, oh, well, how does that make you feel? Uh, you know, very odd way to respond. He's like, how does that make you feel? And then the wife's like, oh, well, can we buy you a drink? And can we buy you something? And there's lots of shops on the, along the route. And they're trying to, you know, like buy my wife a new purse and all this stuff. And we're like, no, just stop talking to us. It's like, I regret opening my mouth. Just leave us alone. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say anything. I don't care. Um, so we get inside and we're down on the floor 
and um, and I was like, well, I'll go get us, I'll go get us a couple of drinks. Uh, and there's a like a bar basically at the back, and there's a long line. So I'm in the back of the line and waiting patiently, and I look up, and at the front of the line is this couple. This couple is they're about to order, so I I wait, I I wait patiently. And like right as they're about to order, I sprint to the front of the line and I, I push this guy out of the way. I make sure he knows I'm there. I'm like, excuse me, sir. It's like, I think, I think this is my spot. And he looks at me. He's like, ah, shit. He's like, I know this guy. <laughs> and so I, I order my drink and these are expensive drinks. They're maybe $12. $12. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was $12 Bud Lights. Dude, $13 for a, for a Dos Equis and maybe 11 or $12. Every bar in San Francisco. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, so I, I, I get us a couple of drinks and, uh, I order and I'm like, and it's on this guy's tab. He's paying. And the bartender kind of looks at him like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and so he, he, he looks at me and he's like, damn it. Like I've been caught. So he probably spent, you know, 40, $50 on drinks at the end of the night. And, uh, so I, I get my drinks and I turn to walk away. He's like, that was well played. That was, that was very well played. <laughs> how was the, how was the show? Oh, it was great, dude. He was, he was hilarious. Uh, I mean, we've always, he's been around for 20 years doing comedy, more, more than that. He probably started in the eighties. Seinfeld has a thing about like your, the number of years you've been doing comedy is like your age. Like after one year, you're like a one year old. After two years, you're like a two year old. Hmm? It's a tough gig. It's it a is, tough gig. It is that tough could gig. be similar to lots of industries. I don't know. It's pretty rough. That, that one is pretty rough. <laughs> you ever driven five hours to a place to find out they're going to pay you in alcohol and you're like, how am I supposed to drive home? <laughs> I have. <laughs> like, I guess I'm going to sleep in my car tonight. Like, I don't know. Well, who, who would be your favorite comedian? Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. I mean, I like him and I don't know if you know who Nick Schwartzen is. The name, I mean, the name's familiar. I don't know if I've heard his... He's in, like, that. every Adam Sandler movie. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like a random dude yeah. that's yeah. not David yeah. Spade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Jerry Seinfeld, I think, for me, is, like, the, the OG. He's a classic. Yes, so. that's true. Well, Aaron, I, I appreciate, again, I, I appreciate your time coming on. Uh, I, I had a blast. Um, I'd like to do this again sometime, if, if you're willing and, and able. So, I, I appreciate you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. I, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram. We want to hear from you, so leave us some feedback to help us shape future episodes.